you know, it's a great, it's a Bible phrase. I love it. You have not because you ask not. It's like social proof is really important. So people are not going to listen. Like if I say Cody Butler's great, they're not going to listen to me. If they go to your podcast and you say I'm great, that carries some weight. So the social proof is super, super important. And, and, and business owners just think, well, if they offer a great service, then the testimonials are going to come in. The reviews are going to come in. You, you've got to have a systematic process to get those reviews. So what I teach is someone like yourself, for example, that goes and installs a garage door. I would take an iPad personally. And at the end of it, I would say, are you happy with the service? Is there anything we could do better? Is there anything you're not happy with? Are you happy with the service? And if they go, well, yeah, we're really happy with the service, I will pull the iPad out and say, would you mind taking just two seconds and leaving a review on Google right now? And have the page up, have it ready to go, make it super, super easy. Because if you don't do that, everybody will say, yes, I'll leave a, a review, and one in 20 will. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. Welcome back to the Home Service Expert. You guys know me. I'm Tommy Mello. And today, I have a special guest visiting from way down under in Australia, Sydney, Australia. His name is Cody Butler, and I'm going to tell you all about him. He's an expert in business marketing, direct response, social media marketing, copywriting, which is very important, business development, personal development. All those are important, but uh, we don't really talk enough about copywriting. He's based out of Sydney, Australia. Cedia Media is the name of the company where he does marketing mentor to small business and medium business owners from 2010 to now. Majestic Data Solutions, he's the principal CEO from 2015 to now. And Web360, the CEO to present, it looks like. Wrote a lot of books, The 90-Day Marketing Plan. He wrote uh, God Attitude, The Definitive Guide to Generating Consulting Clients, and Big Results on Small Budgets an expert in lead generation and marketing automation. He's one of the top educators when it comes to business growth and marketing strategy and was called the world's leading lead generation expert by Business Innovators Magazine. He's helped over 5,000 businesses to date, including billion-dollar companies and corporations, celebrity marketers, and sports stars in creating a plan to instantly impact their revenue growth. He's founded two software companies, three marketing agencies, multiple training in different organizations, and a number of other seven-figure uh, businesses. Cody, it's a pleasure to have you on today. It's early in Australia. It's midday for me, so glad to have you on. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy, for the very nice introduction. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you know what this podcast is. It's called Home Service Expert. There's anywhere from mowing lawns to cleaning windows to fixing HVAC units to fixing chimneys concrete foundation slabs you name it last month i'm very happy to say we hit twenty thousand downloads my goal is a hundred thousand why do i care because i'm a big fan of kpis and i always want to be improving this is not something i do for money is to give as much value as possible so let's deliver as much value today as possible let's i do really it. want to <laughs> jump in cody you've got an amazing story worked with a lot of businesses gonna get a lot out of this today do you want to just kind of tell the audience and myself where you've been, where you're going, why you decided to write books and, and what the plan is? Yeah, so, so I got into business marketing and really understanding marketing. My, my first 
real attempt at an online business was a life coaching business. And that was about 12 years ago now. And uh, I had a lot of issues in the, in the early zeros and, and I overcame those problems, depression, other things. And it's like, I wanted to share that story and I wanted to share that path with people to help, help them as well. So I started a life coaching business and was completely incapable of getting it into the marketplace. So I realized at that point without actually understanding the marketing aspect of a business, you really don't have a business. So out of necessity, I learned marketing really to, to, to promote that business. And I started to see friends' businesses and they, they started asking me if I could help them with their businesses as well. And, and that's what I did. I started promoting their businesses for them and, and teaching them marketing as well. And that kind of morphed into the agency side of things. I started a marketing agency out of that, which is kind of a natural progression from the marketing agency side of things that sort of went into consulting and coaching and from the consulting and coaching that went into the authorship and the, the book side of things. So it was just a case of each iteration of the business, each evolu evolution is just a way to reach more people with the message because at the end of the day, people are just not going to get what they want out of business unless they're able to master the sales and marketing side of their business. The sales and marketing is the money part of the business and, and that's what most people really don't get a grip of. You know, it's funny because people ask me, what is your passion? What is the life you live? What do you want? And I say, sales and marketing. I live it. I, I literally, I coach on sales all the time, but marketing is the real foundation. And I, I can't wait to dive into this because you've helped yeah. 5,000 businesses plus. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a lot of businesses. <laughs> and um, I want to hear a lot about that. So yeah. tell me, when you get a client on, where do you start? What's, there's an onboarding forum. I'm sure you probably figure out where to help them the most. But talk to me a little bit about where, where does someone get started with, with getting help for marketing? So when, whenever I start with, with a new client, the first thing we do is we look to utilize underutilized assets within the business. So every business is going to have a number of cash levers, a number of pots of gold within the business that they're going to be able to, to pull those levers immediately and, and produce a cash windfall in the business. So that's any business that's been in business for six months or more, really. So we'll probably talk about it in a little bit. But a lot, one of the big, the big mistakes that businesses make when marketing their products and services is they just quit too soon. The marketing process, the sales process takes a lot longer than most businesses understand. And they just simply quit too soon. So we can have a quick look at any, any marketing activities that have happened in the past, any leads, any, any prospects in the past. And generally, we can monetize those leads within five to seven days just by following up in an effective way where they simply quit with those leads too quickly previously. So one of the things I usually teach is, is the sales cycle is build rapport, educate and follow up. And the third thing is follow up. Yeah. Most of us fail and yep. develop a really good follow-up system. I've got millions of dollars out there that are unclosed, but you know, we're a high revenue company. So millions yeah. is really relative. If I was a $10,000 a year company, Millions of dollars would be really, really bad, but uh, hundreds would be relevant at that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So ultimately, talk to me a little bit about that follow up. I think yeah. is underutilized. And I want to get into copywriting yep. too, but let, let's talk a little bit about the follow up process. Tell me a little bit about how to develop that. Okay. Well, the, the first thing a business owner needs to understand is when they're told no, they're not being told no, they're being told not right now. Okay. So if you've got a, a roofing company, for example, and a roofing lead, if it's not an urgent problem to get the roof fixed, they're, they're, they're going to get it fixed at some point. They're just not going to get it fixed right now. So when, when that lead tells the company no, they're not telling them no, they're telling them not right now. Now's not a good time. 
the best way to think about it is it's like two tumblers in a combination lock. So the, the business is one tumbler and the prospect is the second tumbler and both of them have to line up perfectly for the lock, lock to open and both are in constant motion, constantly spinning. So when the prospect's tumbler is lined up, it might not be the right time for the business. And then when the business's tumbler is lined up, it might not be the right time for the prospect. So those tumblers have to spin many times for them both to line up for the lock to open. And the only way to ensure that you're in a position to take advantage of that when both tumblers are, are lined up is you have to be following up on an ongoing basis. One of the things that's really important to understand, 50% of prospects who inquire about a service will purchase that service within 18 months of making that inquiry. So if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. If somebody goes into a furniture store, for example, they're probably going to buy a new couch within 18 months, but they're not necessarily going to make that purchase that day. But 50% of those people will make a purchase within 18 months. Only 15% of the people that do make a purchase will make that purchase within 90 days. So if you're only following up for 90 days, which is the long game for most businesses, like most businesses won't even follow up for 90 days, that they, they won't follow up at all. If you're only following up for 90 days, you're only getting 15% of the available revenue that's available from that market. If you can follow up from day 90 to day 560, which is month three to month 18, then the amount of revenue that will be generated from that same prospect base is going to be approximately five-fold. You're going to make approximately five times as many sales. So we were talking just before we started the call here, who can spend the most is going to win the game. And if you, if you can make five times as much revenue by playing the long game and following up for 18 months, you're making five times as much revenue as your competitor who's not following up. That guy can't hang with you. You're going to win that game every single time. So there's in home service, typically we have the people that need to get it done and the people that may want something. So yeah. for example, I might want a pool. I yeah. might, not, that's a longer game yeah. than my garage is broken. I can't get out. But, you know, I've also read that it takes seven to 10 tries when someone says not right now. Yeah. And you'd be surprised on the seventh time. So what I've really focused on and I don't use active campaign, but there's a million tools out there within a CRM view. Sure. I'm a big fan of email, yep. handwritten letters, yep. text messaging, phone calls, even geofencing and having the ads pop up on their local stuff. So retargeting, pixeling, I can keep going. But ultimately, it's kind of, I think when we talk on these podcasts and we're really, me and you, these are just normal terms for us. Other people listening are like, dude, they lost me at follow-up. <laughs> So what we're saying is we could systematize it and not make yep. it so much to use a journal or a notebook that you're flipping and going, oh, yeah, I remember. I mean, that works if you're really, really focused and organized and you're, you're a small shop. But what's the best way that would you say to kind of set it and forget it, put it into a system? Yeah, so using a, a software like ActiveCampaign. I, I, I use ActiveCampaign personally. Okay. And retargeting is very good as well. So. Going back to your first question, what would be the first thing that we do? Well, add retargeting to the website. That's going to be your super low-hanging fruit. That's, and for anybody who doesn't know what retargeting is, it's basically when somebody comes to your website, we're able to basically make a record of that and then show your product or service or brand to that person across multiple platforms such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that. So we're getting those seven to ten touches. We're getting that constant reminder and put in, put in the brand, just, just making your brand the natural choice. So even with home services, it's a case of 
plumbing, for example, if you go and fix somebody's hot water heater, they're going to have a number of other plumbing requirements over the course of a year. If you're sending them a monthly newsletter or bi-weekly newsletter or monthly direct mail letters as well, something like that, it's like when the, the secondary needs start to appear, when they have a, a faucet leak or they, they need something going on, you're going to be the natural person that they go to. Whereas if you're not following up with them, it's kind of a one and done deal. You go and you fix their water heater or you, you cut their grass or you fix their roof or you fix a fence or a driveway or something like that. And then you're forgotten. And when they have another need that you could service, that you could serve, that they're just going to go back to Google again. So be using follow-up to really cement that relationship. Now, a great example would be a mechanic or a doctor. It's like when you get a family doctor, you don't change that doctor because it's about trust. When you find a mechanic that you like, you get a family mechanic, you don't change that mechanic. It's not about price anymore. It's about trust. So we're using follow-up or the most effective way to use follow-up is really to cement that relationship, to build that trust to where you become the family plumber, you become the family electrician, you become the family maintenance guy. You're no longer price sensitive at that point and you're just the natural go-to guy or girl when somebody has a requirement in that area. You know, there's a few things. I've got so much here that we could really, I, I want to dive a little bit more into this because I think that the follow-up process, there's a lot to it because it's circumstantial depending on the industry. I was on a podcast about two months ago and the guy wrote... I think the one page marketing plan possibly, but we ended up talking a lot about how are you prepping that call? How are you educating them? Are you sending them information and making sure they're digesting it when you get out there? How could you differentiate yourself? How do you isolate the objection to get over that objection? And there's a lot there, but the sales end of it, follow up is key in getting them ready. But if you isolate the objection to the being price, and that's the only thing, not that I'm not ready for it now, then financing is the underlying thing to take that over because it's delayed gratification. The credit card and the financing, they're not going to have to pay right now. So I think a lot of people forget to do financing and really isolate the objections. But I was going to ask, ask you too, I, I make a lot of notes because yeah. believe it or not, this stuff for me, sure. counseling, it's like, sure. like, you know, what I wrote down is, is why didn't you use us? So when, you, when the follow-up process doesn't always need to be, I'm following up with you to earn your business, because if you could figure out why they're not using you and build FAQs and understand, am I outpricing the market? And I don't believe in that. The market sets the price, and it doesn't mean you need to be competitive with your competitors. It depends. You know what? The best stakeouts here is not competitive with Denny's or Texas Roadhouse or McDonald's. The best steakhouse is 10 times more, but they still have lines and you can't get in. It's, it's by appointment only. So I don't necessarily think you need to be competitive. What's your take on that? Because I'm very interested because most people listening think I need to be within reason close to my competitors, but they're selling. If you're a commodity, I understand that. If everybody does it the exact same, you don't have wrap trucks and you don't have drug tested a background, but I just don't believe that. What is your take on the pricing? Okay. So there's an intrinsic connection in a person's mind between price and quality. So price is only a sensitive issue when the issue is not urgent. So let me give you an example that I use all the time. So if you're on the back of an aircraft at 20,000 feet and you're getting ready to get pushed off of that aircraft and I'm stood here with two parachutes and I say, I've got two parachutes, one's 50 bucks and one's $5,000. Which one do you want? Knowing that you're going off the back of that aircraft. $5,000 one. And, and, and why is that? 
because I want I want to live. I think the more expensive I buy, yeah. generally speaking, the more expensive, the safer, the better, the longer lasting, yeah. the well put together, right? That's generally we, we think about that as human. Exactly. If I pay more, I'm getting yeah. better quality. Exactly. And if you're back on the ground and you don't get pushed out of the plane, you're back on the ground. And now I'm stood there with the same two parachutes and saying, hey, you made it down. Do you want a backup just in case you ever find yourself in that situation again? This is you're probably not going to be back in this situation, but do you want a backup? One's fifty, one's five thousand. Which one do you want now? Yeah, well, if I'm backup, yeah, the cheap, yeah. So the the issue with price is not it's exactly the same product, it's exactly the same person selling the product, it's exactly the same person buying the product, it's five minutes later, yet you was willing to spend five thousand dollars five minutes ago and you're willing to spend fifty dollars now. So timing is super important when it comes to, to pricing and sales, if people don't want to pay a high price, it's because the problem's not an urgent problem. So the key to marketing is really identifying the point in time when the problem is the most urgent. Urgency, I got that written down. Absolutely. Urgency, Absolutely. reciprocity. So there's a good quote that I wanted to look up to tell you, and it's, quality is remembered long after price is forgotten. That's right. That's right. Quality is remembered. And I think there's a lot to be said because you're never going to remember either one of it if you, you picked the, the bad way to jump out of the thing and it didn't open for you. But ultimately, understanding the reason, there's a good book called Ask by, uh, his name is Lebasque. And he says, ask your customers, why didn't, they, if you understand why they didn't choose you, and a lot of them say price, and the reason they say price is because you didn't take the time to differentiate your service. You see, exactly. now- if I told you this, I'm going to use a simple example, and I want to hear your perspective on this. We've got two tires. We've got one 40,000-mile tire. 40,000, okay? Well, you guys don't use miles in Australia, do you? Kilometers. So 40 kilometers. And then you've got another one 20 kilometers. And they're rated for 20,000. One's rated for 40,000. Yep. Now, you're going to pay $400 for one, and you're going to pay... $300 for the 20,000. So you're paying for every 10,000 kilometers, you're paying a hundred bucks. On the other one, you're paying $1,500 because you're, you're only getting, or I'm sorry, you're paying $150. So you say, why would I buy the more expensive one? Well, you're paying a hundred dollars more to double the amount of places you could go. So I differentiated myself. I said, these are rated. They've been tested. They're tried and true to last you double the amount of time. So you're actually paying only $100 more for double. So unless you're able to differentiate yourself through your service, your parts, which is quality, your warranty. So many people, I'm like, how are you different? And they say, well, we're open nights and weekends. We do drug tests and background checks. You know, all of our guys are the best. All that stuff is all relative. There's nothing different than you than the next company. What is your unique selling proposition? I mean, wouldn't you agree that you got to start to really figure out your unique selling proposition, how you can differentiate yourself. Oh, it's, it's critical. If you don't do that, then you may as well go home. <laughs> because, because you have literally nothing else to compete on, to differentiate yourself on other than price. If, and if there's a you, lot of losers. You know what? The biggest mistakes I see from businesses is they start to compete on price and they go down a vicious cycle that they can't undo because they get so busy they're busy, they're overwhelmed, the relationships get destroyed. And if you could work half as, so what they say is, you got 100 customers, double your price 
and lose 30% of them, you're way in the black. You only lost 30%. So you doubled your price. So on, you lost 30%. So at 70% capacity, you're earning 200%. Yeah. It's just crazy. And I, I, I know the people that are driving right now are like, I'm not following the math, but it means basically double your prices, lose some of your clients. You're still doing well. And the best people I know say, think of the top price you could think of. So, so right now I want you to think of Cody, think of your service and think about a crazy price to consult somebody and then add 20%. Yep. And that's what you should be charging. If it's not uncomfortable, it's too cheap. Yeah. Yeah. But, but this is, you make a great point. I mean, you know, getting a great marketing plan together, the first thing you got to do is get specific specificity sells generality repels. So when I start working with businesses, ask them, who's your target market? And they go, everybody who can buy. It's like incorrect answer. It's not everybody who can buy. Are you targeting the people that want the best quality at any price? Are you targeting people that want a good deal at a reasonable price? Or are you targeting people that just want the cheapest price and don't care what they get? So how do you get that number? Because I know that we could use a lot of formulas and data and start to really figure out our perfect avatar. So a yeah. lot of people would say, if you were to ask someone similar to me in the garage or business, anybody with a garage is our client, right? But that's not the answer you're looking for. So how do you learn to really specify that avatar? Well, do you want to be working in the highly affluent neighborhoods? Right. Do you want to be working in the middle class neighborhoods? Or do you want to be working in the, the, the working class neighborhoods? They all need garage doors. Well, so, you know, that's interesting because I, I asked Ken Goodrich, who, who owns a very, you know, a couple hundred million dollar HVAC company. And he said, Tommy, when I'm in the very, very rich areas, it's all property managers that already have the cheapest contractors available. I go for that dual income, the, the husband and wife working, they're each making 70,000, 130,000 to 200,000 dual income. They got the money to pay. They got the credit card. They need it done. They got a family and I'm reaching a bigger pool. But then again, that's where he thrives and Walmart thrives on the very lowest end customer where you got target. Both of them can coexist and do very, very well. So there's no wrong answer per se, because I think the Waltons are, are a little bit wealthier than the people that own target. I can't guarantee you that, but uh, <laughs> the thing too, is like, once you met, you're right, there's no right or wrong. I mean, it's like, I don't work with lawyers because I'm not a fan of lawyers. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got some opinions on lawyers. Right? I'm not going to share them here, but I have some opinions on lawyers. And it's not necessarily a good, a good match for me to offer marketing services to lawyers because I don't really agree with their industry overly. So the legal market is going to be a great industry for somebody who has no issue with that. So it's, it's not like, is that a good industry or a bad industry? Is that a good target or a bad target? It's just, it's right or wrong for me or for you. But once you decide, I mean, if you go, if you say like your friend there, I'm going to go down that middle route, you know, dual income households, then you target, you create your brand in your marketing, your messaging to speak specifically to those individuals. If you try to speak to everybody, you'll speak to nobody. So the message that a dual income household is going to hear is not a message that an affluent household is going to listen to. The branding that is going to appeal to a dual income middle class household is not the branding that's going to appeal to your bargain basement household. So you can't put anything together. You can't create your copy. You can't create your messaging. You can't create your, your market position. And you can't create your branding until you really identify a target market. And that target market has to be narrow and deep. It has to be specific. You, you know, I'm drawing a picture right now because you have this picture all over the 90-day marketing plan, and it's an iceberg. Yes. The typical iceberg I'm used to seeing is success at the top, 
and you've got 80 things underneath, hard work, no sleep, losing relationships. But on this one, I wrote your rich classes up here and your high to middle classes, this huge section on the next piece of the iceberg. And I think if your message could appeal to the masses, but still you're going to pick up a lot of the rich, you're going to pick up some cheap, but you want to take market share. And it depends. You know, if you're in the fake safe, I had a podcast about two years ago and the guy built walkthrough bookcase shelves, minimum starting at 10,000. Your average house cannot afford $10,000 for a hidden bookshelf. So his, his market is completely different. So how does one, how do you go about, I'm curious just to hear your, your explanation. How do you even go about deciding where you're going to focus? Is that part of just, you kind of got to get started and start to, to narrow your focus. You start out with a shotgun approach and you start to realize where your passion is. I don't know. I don't think there's a correct or wrong answer, but I want to hear how you would put that. So I would use the 80-20, the Pareto principle to figure that out. So when we start out in business, we, we all go with the shotgun approach. It's like, we'll take whatever we can get because we have to. Right. A starving man will eat out of a trash can. A, a full man will turn down steak, right? So we're all starving when we start out. <laughs> yeah. We'll eat anything to start with because we're starving. But if you look at the 80-20 principle, which basically states 80% of the results will come from 20% of the causation, then start to evaluate your business. So when I work with a client, after we do the initial reactivation and, and underutilized asset campaigns, then we start to do the 80-20 and, and start to look at what's really working in your business. You'll, if you look at the market segments, you'll find that the majority of your revenue is coming from one or two market segments. You'll find that it's coming from one or two services. You'll find it's coming from one or two areas. So for example, when I did this for myself, I had 20 routes to market. I was using email marketing, direct mail, SMS, radio, all kinds of stuff, out, outbound cold calling, all kinds of stuff. When I actually sat down and evaluated everything, everything was coming from email. 80% of the revenue was coming from email. So I've got all of these activities. If I cut them out and just put all of the resources into email, then I'm, I'm going to, A, eliminate 80% of my day. And B, I'm going to increase, I'm not going to decrease revenue at all. I'm actually going to increase revenue. So the same is true with your market segment. It's like, where's the majority of your clients coming from? What class are they in? What segmentation are they in? And if you can identify that and, and what products and services are they buying? So for example, I've worked with lots of HVAC companies and or, or plumbing companies and, and hot water heaters. Hot water heater repair is a great place to start. It's an easy in the credit card gets swiped straight away. It's, it's quite an easy sale. It's very profitable. So, you know, if we focus all of the branding and, and the marketing around hot water heater repair, they get in the door through hot water heater repair, which is a very short sales cycle, right? Because if someone's water heater breaks in the middle of winter, who can get there first? It's getting paid. And it does, it's the back of the plane scenario again. And then that opens the door. To that opens the door. You know, I've got a thing right now for a cheap tune-up. It gets us in the door. And it does great. And one of the things that I agree with the 80-20 because I got out of home warranty business altogether. Yeah. I got out of commercial garage doors altogether. Now, I do think that there's something to be said about wrapping your trucks, yard signs that match your trucks, stickers that match your yard signs in your trucks, your website matches your trucks. All the stuff that you do is uniform. And it usually all leads back to the most famous thing of all, Google. And it yeah. all goes back to Google. But I got to tell you, he who could spend the most wins. When I'm doing 
and this is counterintuitive to what I used to say two years ago, but I still think start with direct response. But when you can do TV and it's effective, the key word there is effective. A lot of people do TV and radio so they could hear their friends say, oh my God, I just, oh, Cody, I just saw you on TV. It was amazing. Who cares? If you're not making money with it, but when your phone's ringing off the hook and you don't know what to do, TV, radio, and billboards, and they're done effectively, they wouldn't even exist if they couldn't be done effectively. If they're done effectively with a killer website, a little bit of pay-per-click done professionally, with a good quality score click-through rate time on page, and a well-done Google My Business page and organic site, you can absolutely own the world. And you said, you want to focus on a few things. I think the biggest mistake is people go, SEO, search and optimization, I don't really care. I tried that for six months. It didn't work. And I'm like, wait a minute. 70% of all services are found online. Over 70% of that's found on Google. That's half of your budget should be aimed at Google. For home service, at least. See, Facebook works too if it's something that's like, oh, I really think that would be cool to have that in my house. It's, you know, like a tankless water heater because you're, you're getting them to make an emotional decision to switch to that based on water conservation and them being green. But if it's a, if it's a must have, like I need my air conditioning to work in Arizona because it's 110 degrees out today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your take on that? I mean, there's all kinds of marketing yeah. mediums and I don't think there's any that when you own that medium, it works. I know certain guys that are very successful, 100 million plus, and they own one thing great, the door-to-door -door knocking, yeah. pest control. They own it. Yeah. That's all they do. So what's your take on picking the right platform that might work for your business? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll use an example of a client I'm working with right now. He's a dentist and he's got a couple of products he wants to sell. So he wants to sell dental implants and he wants to sell emergency dental services. So a dental implant is, is something that needs to be researched and the, the buying cycle is much longer. So we show ads on Facebook for that and we offer education. So we'll offer a dental implant information guide, which gets people into the research stage because it's not going to be an instant decision. So we can show that to them on Facebook. Oh, that's the a dental, funnel. Yeah. It's a funnel. Yeah. It, it's a process that the emergency dental would just completely bomb on Facebook. Yeah. Because pe people don't break a tooth and then go, Oh, I'm I need a dentist. Let me just check my Facebook newsfeed and see what's going on. It's like, if you break a tooth, you're going to Google. So you've got to understand the behavior of the person and the buying cycle that the person is going through. And that's going to determine the platform that you go to. So if, if it's like emergency plumbing, for example, emergency roofing, emergency, anything, it's like, Google AdWords is where you want to be. Because yep. if you've got emergency roadside breakdown, emergency locksmith, it's like people are not going to Facebook or YouTube to find a locksmith. They're going to Google, they're typing in locksmith, they're typing in plumber, and the person that can get there the fastest wins. That's it. Yeah, it is. Unless, unless, this is the big one, Cody, unless they're searching for you and you're only buying your own keywords. If they're right. buying your own keywords because you want to come up first and you've created a brand. Like when I search tissue paper, I search Kleenex. Most yes. people don't understand that Kleenex is a brand, but we all call it Kleenex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. And right. Some people say, I want a cup of Folgers. I don't really know anybody. That's cafe, yeah. Or yeah, Starbucks, exactly. but it means coffee. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot to be said there. And you know, you got me interested now because I just took another note from my own business is when you're thinking about garage doors, I have a tool that actually tells me every time someone pulls equity out of their home. Why would they pull equity out of their home? Usually because they want to fix stuff up, right? They're going to put a pool in. They're going to do some updates. Yeah. I can find out every time someone pulled a permit to do anything on their home. So why not target them on Facebook 
was to show people that 40% of your home's curb appeal is your garage door. And it's one of the things that give you a lot more efficiency, but that's a long cycle, right? That's not something they're going to say, I'm going to buy a $10,000 garage door today. Not if it's not broken. So you make it very, very well. You know, that's a great point. And I'm sure that the people listening have to take a lot out of that. There's a lot of gold nuggets here. If you can educate, like to really grow a business big and to scale it big, you've got to start appealing to the, to the market segment that don't actually know they want your product or service yet. And that begins with education. So if you can educate somebody, like if there's the ability to use education to get the person interested, like dental implants is a case for that. There's a lot of education that takes place. So if you can educate your prospect on your service, Facebook's the place to be. If they have to already be aware that they want and they're looking for that service, Google's the place to be. You know, that's what I say is I take a, a pyramid and I flip it upside down and I say, yep. the people on the bottom of this point are people that need your service today. As we start yep. going up, there's people at the top that pr- might never want your service. But if you can get in the center and start educating people on why they may want your service, you're starting higher in the funnel. And most people are not patient enough to follow that all that's the right. way through to the end. That's they almost get to the, the one yard line in football. They get, they run, they dodge everybody. The dodging and weaving, and then yeah. they, they spike the football right before they get to the end zone, and they were so close, but they That's didn't it. figure out the systems to get them there. And look, at the top of the py- or the base of the pyramid, this inverted pyramid, it's like it might cost a dollar to reach that person to educate oh, yeah. them. At the bottom, when, when somebody types in emergency plumber or emergency water heater repairs, like you, you may be paying $40, $50 a click at that point. It's oh, yeah. Cost yeah, you- no, you're paying $70, $80. If you're putting in that keyword with the city name for HVAC, plumbing, electrical, or garage doors, even locksmiths now. And a lot of these businesses, I mean, it's expensive. It's expensive. The shorter the keyword and the more it's searched, obviously, the more expensive it is. And it's what placement do you want? Usually, I'll take the second place. I don't need the first place because I still get that visibility in the three-pack, but I'm paying a lot less. It's fun to talk about this stuff because – I remember when I was talking to somebody and they're like, Google my business, SEO, PPC, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm like, it's just fun for me. It's fun to know this stuff because people that listen to the podcast, I'm hoping are learning that Google is very, very important, but you got to find something that works. And the last thing you'd want to do, Cody, and you can tell me if I'm wrong is say, I'm going to do some Facebook, some Google, some radio. I'm going to work on my citation sites. I'm going to advertise with Yelp. I heard Tommy say Valpac one day, so Valpac, I'm going to yep. be in the mailers. And then they say, holy shit, I'm going bankrupt. None of them worked. It's not that none of them worked. It's just you didn't give them enough time to work and you haven't mastered the tracking to know which one's working best, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to fail, do that. That's a guaranteed strategy <laughs> for failure right there. It's like you've got to start with one platform and master it. Pick, pick so, Facebook, pick YouTube ads, pick direct mail, pick email. It doesn't matter. It's like start with that and then really get good at that before moving to the next one. I call that you nail it and then you scale it. Nail it and scale it. Absolutely. Correct. So what are some of the mistakes you see a lot of business owners? We've talked about some of them. Yeah. I'm making them down. This, this I got a, a bunch of questions and I go down. I'm like a tunnel. Boom. I might yeah. Try to, yeah, yeah. just get used to it. I'm sorry. But this is what, great stuff. I keep it lively. We keep it fun. It's good. It's a great conversation. I'm like, yeah, I could talk about this for a while. It's easy. <laughs> so the big mistakes that people make is the first one is we've talked about it. They, they just quit too soon. They don't follow up enough. You've got to follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. The second big mistake 
is they go too broad. So they don't really understand their, their ideal client avatar. They don't really understand, or they're not really targeting a specific audience. They, they go too broad. So they'll, like, you know, like we said, they'll try and target all homeowners versus a certain segment of homeowners. That, that's the second big mistake, really. Those, those are the two big ones. I mean, if you just solve those two problems there, if you just go narrow and deep, so you want a very narrow audience, but very deep, you want very specific audience, but a lot of them, yep. that, that's a great place to be. And then just focus on getting a strategy in place that keeps putting your message in front of them over and over again. That's really the winning, the winning formula right there. So as far as low-hanging fruit, as far as I'm concerned, friends, neighbors, and family. You know, low-hanging fruit to me would mean whenever you're part of, I don't want to say a pyramid scheme, but a multi-level marketing approach, yep. the first thing they teach you to do is go after your circle, right? Yep. And I feel like this is going to sound really messed up, but I exploit the crap out of my circle. I ask them for <laughs> help. I say, what can I do for you in return? But I need you to use me. I need you to support me. If I owned a bar, I'd be like, you guys are coming in all day long. I'll give you your first drink for free, but then I need you to support me. I need your help. I can't yeah. give you away free everything because I'm trying to make this business work, especially in the earlier years of the business. So what are some low-hanging fruit that, that maybe we never think about? I love your, the name of your book that says, the big results on a small budget. Yeah, well, like the, it, it's back to the 80-20. When you have a big budget, only a small percentage of that budget is actually getting results. 80% of your budget is just is being wasted. It's going nowhere. So if you can figure out the 20% that's working, you can eliminate the 80% of the budget and retain the same results for 80% less spend, or you can take that 80% that you're wasting, put it into the 20% that's, that's working, and now you've got a 5x, 10x increase in your business for the same amount of ad spend. So understanding where your costs are going is super important. Understanding what's working and what's not. The second thing is, you know, it's a great, it's a Bible phrase. I love it. You have not because you ask not. It's like social proof is really important. So people are not going to listen. Like if I say Cody Butler's great, they're not going to listen to me. If they go to your podcast and you say I'm great, that carries some weight. So the social proof is super, super important. And, and, and business owners just think, well, if they offer a great service, then the testimonials are going to come in. The reviews are going to come in. You, you've got to have a systematic process to get those reviews. So what I teach is someone like yourself, for example, that goes and installs a garage door, I would take an iPad personally. And at the end of it, I would say, are you happy with the service? Is there anything we could do better? Is there anything you're not happy with? Are you happy with the service? And if they go, well, yeah, we're really happy with the service, I will pull the iPad out and say, would you mind taking just two seconds and leaving a review on Google right now? And have the page up, have it ready to go, make it super, super easy. Because if you don't do that, everybody will say, yes, I'll leave a, a review. And one in 20 will. No, you got to have a system. You got to have a yeah. reciprocity. You know, the only thing with the iPad that's tough is you got to be logged into their IP address. And on a, they got micro cookies. So it's coming from the same device. So usually what I'll do is I'll say, listen, if you go do this for me right now, and I'll have a little handout. And I've got a program called BirdEye that sends it to them. But I try to get it done before they leave. The main thing is, and trust me, in Australia and England right now, the algorithms are way easier. I will be in those countries within the next five years doing garage doors. Prepare for A1 to be out of there. But, you know, I think the main thing is, and then you don't understand. What, what do you got to leave for a review? So sometimes we need to be very, very specific. Yes, give them a script. 
Well, here's what I want. Here's a good review. It's a, it's a picture of me right now working. I got my screen in the air. I'm smiling. <laughs> and I'm going, woo And then I say, make a short video, post this on Facebook. I tag a minute while I'm there. And it's all these things and trying to say, a review on Google is great, but if you do all these things for me, you're my best friend. You're my superhero. I'm going to help you get your Christmas tree down. I'm going to help you decorate it. I am excited for you to do this and you should be excited for me to do it because so often we don't ask enough. And I do, I say this all the time in the podcast. We got to ask, we got to ask for it. And you know, people always ask me, they're like, why do you, a lot of your competition is probably listening to this podcast. Why do you give it all away? And I'm like, because they all take notes. They all want to do it, but they never, ever do it. And if they do, if they do get it done, it's for a short time and then it falls off. They'll go do it. They'll be happy. They say, we, we're catching up in review. Falls off. They'll go to a seminar. Fall off. And one thing, there's a good book by um, Sandler Training. It says, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. Yep. And what I like about that is you got to go there and do it. You got to get on the bike. You got to make some mistakes, but you got to do it. Once you do it and you're good at it, you keep it going. So when you were talking about low-hanging fruit and reviews are easy. Reviews. And I like that. You have not because you ask. Ask right? not. So what? you got you got to ask. And look, make it easy for people. So like, don't make it hard for them to do what you want them to do. So a lot of times, like I'll have a client and they'll say something really nice, and I say, "Well, do you mind putting that in a review for me?" And they will say, "Yeah, no problem at all." And then a couple of days later, it, it still isn't done. So I, I will even go as far as saying, "Hey, do you mind if I write the review? I'll send it to you. You edit it however you feel. Edit. You know, it's. Go- I want it to be." you like if can i summarize what we talked about you edit it and then that'll make it really really easy for you so even sometimes if you just help the the client out by writing the review and just having them sign off on it you're making it super easy to get what you want you're not making it difficult for them to give you what it is that you want it's genius it's genius you know i i used to have this program a long time ago that would spin sentences it'd come up with synonyms or words. So I built that into a review generator. And I said, I went ahead and wrote this review for you. And it would stick the keywords in, it would put their name in there, it would put my name or the, and it did all of it, except it was just not strong enough for Google's algorithm. So now I, if you're going to do that, typically what I do is I find a lot of things. I'll talk about their dog and hey, good luck on your trip with your Harley to Albuquerque. You know, that is a genius idea of somebody that says, listen, I went ahead and I wrote this just to make it easy for you. If you don't think it's accurate, feel free to make changes. But the one thing you should ask for is not how did I do. Did you receive five out of five service? And I mentioned five out of five service throughout the whole conversation as much as possible. Why would I say five out of five? Do you have any idea? That's the the number of stars on... On On everything. So I'm focusing five out of five, five out of five. Yep. Trust me, I didn't get this. One of the guys called an insurance company and they said, we, see, now all my people, they're always listening and learning and taking notes yep. and bringing stuff yep. to me. And I'm like, yes, let's do that. Super excited, super animated. I'm glad you're on today. The other thing too, Tommy, is like, excuse my language, but to dominate, you have to be marginally better than shit because that's what your competition is, right? It's like, if you go to Google My Business or whatever, you look at the reviews, it's like you're going to have one business that's got 150 reviews and the next closest business has got three. Oh, they didn't figure out how to automate. The problem is now, I believe, more than ever, we've taken linear steps. Now we're taking exponential steps. Uh, you know, there's a good book called Bold and it explains the power of the 3D printer and what's coming and the world's changing so fast. 
So I believe I'm always looking for change. When you start with me, I had a, a group in here, 20 guys started yesterday. And I said, guys, just understand one thing. Better get comfortable and enjoy change. This isn't going to be a static position. This is going to be a very, very, very fast-paced change. One day we're going to have you do it this way. The next day the procedure is going to change because the technology stat changes. Yeah, and yeah, one day they're going to come out. One day I might say, guys, forget YouTube. We're going to start making TikTok videos because TikTok's catching on and everybody's buying groceries from TikTok. I don't know. But we're innovating and you got to build that culture of change. And it's very rare. A lot of small business owners get great ideas and they could run with them for a while. The difference is, can you take the test of time? We made it through COVID-19. You know, I got this on my desk because we're almost done with it. It's called the Rise of A1 COVID-19 case study. And it's 50 pages. It's like wow. we teamed up and we did a lot of stuff together. And we, it proved that the team was really, really strong. So what are some other innovative ideas? You know, I, I love the idea of, of just, I had this guy, he stopped working for me, a smaller company. He was a really nice guy, but we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. And he, he did okay. Just he put yard signs on busy corners. And I, I can tell you this, he didn't get the best customer base, but he was more of the low hanging fruit. Just, I got to make a living. I can make $800 a week to survive. But what I learned was there's no such thing as a bad idea. If you could see it through and really work out the problems and realize where you live in the marketplace. It's just determining what you want to be. See, I want to be the largest, most trusted grocery company in North America. So I've got to innovate. I've got to do things better. I've got to have systems. Everything is systematic. And the software for me spits out the numbers. When I've got these numbers accurate, you should see how smart I am. I'm able to make really good decisions. I mean, I'm not smart. Anybody says I'm losing my ass on this marketing, they turn it off. I'm not, yeah, yeah. My joke of it was all my stuff is black and white. You can look at the data. And I could have a seven-year-old say, ooh, that doesn't look good. This one looks better. Okay, let's turn that one off. I mean, that's how it should be. That's what technology is for, right? Exactly right. And, and you know, we, we talked about copywriting very briefly earlier on. I mean, just, just to talk about that yeah. very, very quickly. It's like, I always say, if, if the test is, can a 12-year-old understand this immediately? If you can't give your, your copy to a 12-year-old and they can tell you straight away what it's about, it's too complicated. It's too difficult. And, you know, what you're saying there is true. It's like systemizing your business to, you know, to see most business owners don't have the ability to tell the difference between success and failure. They simply don't know the difference, especially when it comes to marketing, because the analytics are too complicated or, or they don't have them set up properly. So they'll have a campaign that's wildly successful and then they'll turn it off because they just don't, they don't know that it's winning and all they can see is money going out and they don't really know where the money is coming back in or how it's working. So they just turn it off. So you have something that's wildly successful that gets turned off. And the, the, the solution to that is to put a system in place that a 12 year old could run. If a 12 year old cannot run it, it's too complicated. Well, that's why McDonald's did so well, right? Because they created systems. I don't know if a lot of people know this. I probably mentioned it a couple of times, but they've got a four digit pin that they've got to wash their hands a certain amount of times per day. And it feeds back to a system that says, yes, they hit their number of washing their hands every hour. So it's just inspecting what you expect. And a 15, well, I don't know about it. 12 year old, we're pushing the button on how old you are to work. I got a job when I was 12, but I'm looking vehicle wraps. If a 12 year old can't look at it and see what you do, a lot of people list everything they do. Chimney cleaning, chimney sweep out, chimney. Exactly. I'm like, why? We know that you do that if you work on chimneys. You know what I mean? I just, 
I don't understand why people got to say, we do pool, we do cleaning, we do install, we do chlorine. And I'm like, well, you work on pools, right? That's it. So just say pool service. We do yeah. pool install and pool service. Sometimes I drive around and I look at wraps and I'm like, what in the heck? And, and one of my <laughs> consultants told me, look at it black and white. It's got to pop black and white. You got to see what it is and what's happening black and white. And look, the reason is it's like, marketing isn't taught i mean like what's the low-hanging fruit well it, it's education for one it's like you've got to get smart you've got to get educated i mean I, I don't know but i'm guessing you've spent a crap ton of money on education you've got a bookshelf yeah. behind you full of books you don't have to spend a lot of money like but everybody i know that's successful is educated because marketing is not taught in the schools it's not taught in the universities it really isn't if you want to get successful at marketing, you've got to get around the people and you've got to understand the people that are successful at marketing. You don't have to spend, you know, 10 grand on a seminar or something like that. You, you can spend 20 bucks. There's tons of, tons of great books. You, you can oh, start out. About, yeah. The books. Yeah, I agree. But I, you know, I, I always ask people like, like I'll bring somebody in here for an interview and you know, who's going to be a marketing person for me. And my question, my first question is like, what were you listening to on the car here? What were you listening to in your car? Yeah, and, and that, that's going to tell me everything I need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of people. One day, he came, my buddy came over. It's kind of embarrassing. He's a good friend of mine, and I don't mean he's not listening. I'm sure, but he said, "Hey, I think they might ask me about a book about the last book I read, and I don't know what to tell him. What should I tell him in case that happens?" And I said, "Well, what's the last book you read?" And I'm guessing it was Dr. Seuss. Green eggs, green <laughs> but uh, but I'm like you know there's so many good books. If anything, I tell them you're re-listening to uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But ultimately, there's a million good books out there. I've got a book I'm listening to again called HVAC Spells Wealth. You see, one of the things I think is the smartest thing we could do is look to other industries to pull those ideas into ours that no one's ever done. So you gave me a lot of good quotes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I mean, the fastest way to create wealth is to replicate, to move something from one industry. I mean, a good example of that is I was working with dentists and they all wanted to be on the same radio station. So I'm like, well, what is it about this radio station? So I called up the radio station, got their media pack. And turns out that, you know, radio is just demographic targeting, right? That's all it is. You know, certain radio stations attract certain demographic. Conservative talk radio is going to produce a different demographic to new rock. Yep, for sure. So I got the got the media pack from this radio station everybody wanted to be on. And it turns out that the the average listener was a 50, 50 plus year old female. Well, it's like, well, we can target those anywhere. We can target those on Facebook. We can target those on Google GDN. We can target those in any way we want to. So we don't have to commit to a minimum of a $60,000 ad spend to get on this radio station and wait for six months. If the only targeting is demographic, well, why don't we just take the same message and put it on YouTube? So now, now we've taken what's working in one industry, moved it to another industry, and now our ad spend, our media buying costs start at $10 a day versus $60,000 commitment. And we can start to scale that up. Taking something that works over here, it's like, what is it that works about radio? And are those elements that, that are working, can we take those and transfer them to another social media platform? And the answer is absolutely yes, we can. And that's really revolutionized the businesses of clients that I work for, because now they don't have to spend $60,000 to test something out. So you, you're, you're getting a response for Dennis on YouTube. 
Yeah, because all your target, it's just demographic targeting. So when, when the radio station that they all wanted to be on was targeting women over the age of 50, or well, that was the demographic predominantly. So we they just target. It's about they hang out, right? The melting pot. Yeah, it doesn't matter what they're, it's not what they're watching that's what's important. It's who they are. Mm-hmm. It's who they are. It doesn't, yeah, no, it doesn't cool. matter what they're watching. I like that. I just, I've yet to try to conquer YouTube, see, I got to do it yourself product for garage doors and I kill it on YouTube. So, yeah. you know, I've just not done it for the garage door stuff that I'm doing right now, but it's, it's got me, you know, this is the kind of stuff that opens my mind and people say, how many podcasts you listen to? I'm like, I get a couple books, a couple podcasts, but I'm, I'm on podcasts all the time. And when I'm able to learn from these people and take notes, Here's the great thing about a podcast is I can ask whatever the questions I want that pertain to me. And I'm praying that I'm delivering value because a lot of times I don't need to ask the questions I am, but we're re-solidifying certain ideas. You know the quote, I like a 12-year-old could take away. I love (laughs) a starving man will eat out of a garbage can, but a full man might turn down a a steak. What are three good books that you'd recommend? You know, it could be anything. By the way, I noticed your books. I got them on Kindle. I typically don't get books on Kindle, but they were, you said you're in the process of getting the books on Audible. So hopefully that's done here in the next couple of months or just or, waiting for the approval. Yeah. Uh, it takes a minute. It takes a minute. Yeah. So what I recommend if you guys get a chance, the 90 day marketing plan and got attitude. Uh, those are the two you're getting on Audible. Yes. Okay. So, so we'll get yes. those books. What are three other books that you feel that you like? So think and grow rich has got to be. Thinking Think Grow Napoleon Hill, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale is a great one. Yep. And, and honestly, like, I mean, I've got to throw the Bible in there. Good, good. I got the Bible on that shelf. Actually, believe it or not, I know exactly where it's at. Boom, the healing Bible. Yep. Look at that. <laughs> Look, um, at the end of the day, like, you know, going back to what are some big mistakes that business owners make is like, they try to treat the symptoms they don't try to, treat the cause of those symptoms so the question is a lot of times look if you can sell one garage door tommy you can sell 10 and if you can tell sell 10 you can sell 100 and if you can sell 100 you can sell 100,000 that if you can sell one legitimately that you you have the ability to sell an unlimited amount so the question is not what do you need to do the question is why are you not doing what you already know how to do that's the question so giving people the buttons, the press and say, okay, we'll go to, go to Facebook or use this copy or use this sequence. It's like, that's not really very helpful. It's like, it, it's addressing the mind of the individual saying, well, what's the blockage that is stopping you from doing what you know you need to do and you already know how to do. Yeah. That, you know, the only thing I, I agree with that, the, the hardest part for me with a business owner is you're great at it, but when you're not here doing it, you're working in the business all day and you're great at working in the business, but how do we get to replicate you so you don't have to bust your butt? You're yep. 58 years old. You've been doing this for the last 40 years. How can we get that first employee? They're not going to be as good as you. So you're going to have to accept a B minus. Right. You're an A plus, but the B minus is okay. Cause we can work yep. on the B minuses slowly, but help them to become B players and then B pluses and actually accelerate them to A minuses and A's. And you're still going to be the granddaddy of everything. And you're going to yeah. have more answers, but you need to be able to trust. And the policies and procedures, those are what's going to dictate the output. And I've got checklists and charts. And it's, it's like you, you think I'm a drill sergeant or something. They got to turn in 
but all of it's on <laughs> all of it's on service type now or a CRM. But you know, I think I think you make a good point. Is really my biggest challenge now that I my focus on is finding bottlenecks. I am always seeking bottlenecks, problems because, and then I really think like this, and, and I I like Grant Cardone. I like his book 10 times, but if you haven't read the book, it's simply think 10 times bigger and what systems are going to fail. What systems could you not do if you were 10 times larger and you wanted to get there in a year? So if you just think like that, it yeah, really yeah. Start, starts causing you to think, hey, maybe I could go, who cares about growing 20% a year? I don't want to grow 20% a year. I want to grow, grow 20% out. a month, yeah. Yeah, no, it's easy. <laughs> 5X, um, 10X, yeah, that, that exactly. And there's no reason you can't, I mean, you can't, but yeah, once you get to 5 million, going from 5 million to 10 million can be very difficult because that's a different set of challenges. But going from 100,000 to a million, sure. That's a very easy, very doable thing to do, for sure. You know, for yeah, I think it's going to be easier for me to get, hmm, I have to think about this, but to get from 50 million to 500 million, I think it'll be a lot easier for me to get from 500,000 to 5 million. And the reason why I say that is because when you're at a million dollars, I've got technicians that'll sell way more than a million dollars, one guy, because they're selling high-end doors. So ultimately, I need the systems in place. And once you're at 50 million, you've got a handful of systems that you could scale with. So it's what I said is now you've got the assembly line. Now you know what you're doing. You know how your marketing works, your CRM's dialed in. Now you just nail it in other areas. See, I'm a big fan of growing this way, where most people say, I do HVAC, we'll do plumbing, we'll do electrical, now we'll do roofing. They want to own that customer for everything. And I'm fine with that, but they're a jack of all trades, a master of none. See, I'm a master taking it to a new audience. And there's, there's good and bad in all of them. It's vertical versus horizontal. Uh, how do we get a hold of you? If someone wants to reach out, obviously, we've got these amazing books. If we want some of your help with consulting, what, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, so I'm easily found. You can just search me on Facebook, Cody Butler, codybutler.com is my personal website. Yeah, that's the easiest way, really. CodyButler.com is the easiest one to remember. Or just look me up on Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Facebook, you got 38,000. You're a monster, so that's awesome. And then... <laughs> a lot yeah, of advertising dollars to get that. Oh, yeah. oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> but what I like to end the podcast, and this has been amazing, I want you to really think about one gold nugget, one story, one, one something that the audience could take action with, something that they could really get going on to make a difference in their personal lives, their, their family and their yep. business? What would it be? It doesn't have to be about any one of those, but just yep. a good so piece. It's of- one question. It's one question. That's an easy one. If you want to transform your life, ask yourself this question. Is this task I'm doing right now income generating activity? And if it's not, stop it and move to income generating activity. If, if you ask that question nine times out of 10, the answer will be, this is not in income generating activity I'm doing right now. Give it to somebody else and start doing income generating activity. If you, you, know, if you spend. Yeah. No, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I divided how much we made last month into 160 hours for myself. Yeah. Although I'm reinvesting a lot of that and the numbers astronomical thousands and thousands and thousands per hour. Yeah. And I'm like, am I doing right now? Take what you made last month, your company, and add up your personal salary. And hopefully you're reinvesting and doing some good things. But then divide that into a common work week, even if you want to do a couple hundred hours, if you want to go above and beyond, is what you're doing now. So I always got to measure, unless you enjoy cleaning the toilet and mowing the lawn, get someone else to do that stuff. Focus on what you're the specialist, what you're the best at. 
and I think you're right, is I delegate, I over-delegate. I delegate so much because I've learned the skill of delegation and seeing it to complete, seeing it all the way through and not dumping. So I think that that's a very good takeaway. Did you have anything else you wanted to elaborate on with that? Yeah, no, I think we all go into business to get the freedom, get freedom. People ask me like, you know, when's enough enough, Cody? And well, the answer to that question is when I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, with whoever I want, without time or financial consideration. That's me. That's exactly what I say. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's weird. That's crazy. That's exactly what I want, when I want, with who I want. Boom. Yeah, that's without it. time or financial consideration. You want to go to Hawaii and let's go, let's go meet in Hawaii and talk about garage doors. Yeah, I'll be there in 12 hours. That's when enough is enough, right? So how do you get to that point? Well, you've got to ask yourself the question, is this income generating activity? That, that's really it. That's how you get there. You know, one thing that people say is, how do you feel like you made it? And one of them, one of the things I really remember specifically is I'm out with a lot of people and I mean, we're drinking. I mean, we're at a nice place. I know the drink. I didn't even look at the price of the menu, but I knew they were high and I didn't care about the bill because before, and I can tell you, there were times in my life where I remember like, if this girl orders another drink, we're in deep shit. The first thing you look at is the right side of the menu. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, mm, the mac and cheese children's menu. That sounds nice. No, yeah, but yeah. not. But no, I, you know, that was one of the things. Then the other one is when you could turn your cell phone off and know that you don't have to be the person with all the answers, that you've got backup and good people behind you and the systems. So, Cody, I mean, look, I got the books for the first time in a long time. I've got a Kindle account with probably 25 books, but I just added yours. There's a lot of great stuff. I've already gone through them, but I, not, not with a fine tooth because I, I, I actually I'm going to wait for the audibles to come out so I can listen to it at three times the speed. But... Um, <laughs> But, you know, I can't even as read, I can't read as fast as the audible because I start skipping and I just read certain words like nouns and it's good. But when I can listen to it really fast, I pull more in. And when I try to read, I literally, I had to slow down to read your impressive accomplishments. Like it's weird how it works, but I got to tell you, it's a pleasure to get somebody from overseas, actually from another country, especially I love Australia. I haven't been there yet. I have a dear friend that lives out there, but I, I'll be out there. Once this whole COVID thing dies down and I'll come visit you. Super impressive. Love what you're doing. I'll keep up the good work and I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you having me on today, Tommy. It's been a pleasure being here and talking marketing with you. Thank you. Thanks, Cody. Hey guys, I just wanted to thank you real quick for listening to the podcast. From the bottom of my heart, it means a lot to me. And I hope you're getting as much as I am out of this podcast. Our goal is to enrich your lives and enrich your businesses and your internal customers, which is your staff. And if you get a chance, please, please, please subscribe. You're going to find out all the new podcasts. You're going to be able to ask me questions to ask the next guest coming on. And, and do me a quick favor. Leave a quick review. It really helps us out when you like the podcast and you leave a review. Make it four or five sentences. Tell us how we're doing. And I just wanted to mention real quick, we started a membership. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. You get a ton of inside look at what we're going to do to become a billion dollar company. And uh, we're just, we're, we're, we're telling everybody our secrets basically. And people say, why do you give your secrets away all the time? And I'm like, you know, the hardest part about giving away my secrets is actually trying to get people to do them. So we also create a lot of accountability within this program. So check it out. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. It's cheap. It's a monthly payment. 
I'm not making any money on it to be completely frank with you guys, but I think it will enrich your lives even further. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it.